Hello, I'm Sharon Hollis. I'm the President of the Uniting Church in Australia Assembly. Welcome to my podcast, Dwelling. I'm really hoping that with this podcast, I can bring to you some of the rich, deep conversations I get to have as President of the Uniting Church. Uh, Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. I'm recording this on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'm delighted today to be joined by Beth um, Irvin from uh, Uniting Care National. Um, Welcome Beth to my podcast. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Beth uh, is working as a project worker on the Disability Royal Commission Task Group, which is a mouthful in itself. So Beth, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your role and what led you to apply for this role? Sure. Um, So I'm a senior analyst for policy and my main responsibility is to provide secretariat to the Disability Royal Commission National Task Group, which is the senior group established by the church and its agencies to keep abreast of what's happening with the Royal Commission activities and to make sure that there's consistency between the church and its agencies in responding to anything to do with the Royal Commission and to support the church and its agencies to understand and implement the key learnings from the Commission. So um, why I applied is um, in my background, I've had a bit to do with people with disability. Um, In 1989, 2000, when the ACT had a purchase a provider model, I was the funder for our ACT disability services. Um, and in that role, um, that was pre-NDIS, um, and there was very limited funding. And I constantly found myself in situations, often where there were parents in their 80s who'd looked after their child with a disability, and they couldn't do it anymore. And there wasn't sufficient funding to be able to do that. Um, And so that was quite heartbreaking. So I'm a strong supporter of the NDIS. I also worked in the health programs of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, And so there's younger veterans who have disabilities. Um, But my son, who's 32, um, was born with a range of congenital abnormalities, which came to light over the next eight years. Um, um, There was a lot of blood, sweat and tears Mm. um, in the resolution of those disabilities. Um, When I say blood, he had a lot of reconstructive surgery. Um, um, The sweat was uh, intensive and ongoing physiotherapy and uh, and the tears (laughs) were were both of ours. Um, But, Uh, And um, at one point when he was um, about eight or nine, we spent six months getting to the bottom of whether he was going to be in a wheelchair in his early 20s um, or whether he was going to grow out of his current condition. Uh, It turned out that he outgrew it. But he he also had severe dyslexia because he didn't crawl. Um, And I'm very pleased to say that we were able to resolve all his issues. uh, and and that was um, because we didn't, you know, we just kept trying and we found um, different things. Um, so that gives me an insight as as a parent um, of a of a 
of a child with with disability um yeah so for me it's professional as well as personal mm. And Beth, having been on the Disability Royal Commission, you just bring um, all of that wonderful um, background into the meetings. You're so fabulous the way you help us marshal everything that's happening um, and and do the, the and help us really work out what we need to know. Thank so you. you've been following the Royal Commission for a while now, and you've been um, you, you know one of the things you do is collate. Um, the information that comes out of that for that task group. I'm wondering if you could share with um, uh, our listeners, what do you think are some of the key learnings that are emerging um, broadly for the Australian community out of the Disability Royal Commission? Um, well, the Royal Commission has heard shocking evidence of violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disability in many settings. Um, and that includes schools, workplaces, residential group homes, healthcare settings, in criminal and, and, um, and civil justice settings, and in the provision of disability services. Um, so um, I think that, um, I think there's going to be a lot of recommendations in the final report. Mm -hmm. They've been, they've been, they established, they were established in 2019. Unfortunately, they didn't have their first public hearing until November, which was their opening hearing. So it was ceremonial. So they really only started their work in 2020 um, when the Royal Commission, uh, sorry, when um, COVID, COVID pandemic hit Australia. Mm. So its work and its activities have been impacted quite a bit, um, but, they, but they are systematic in, in their in their deliberations and all of the all of the things they're looking at so i think there's going to be lots of recommendations and there's going to be a lot of changes so those changes are going to be attitudinal and behavior and behavior changes there'll be system policy and processes changes and those changes will come, will will come through the commonwealth and state and territory and local governments but the but the community is going to have to change as well Organization, all organisations, including religious organisations, will need to change, as will employers um, everywhere. So, and, and there's also, in my opinion, going to be legislative changes. So some of the examples of the legislative changes will be guardianship. I think the Disability Act will change. Um, and I suspect there could be change around governance um, of organisations that provide services for people with disability. So that, the, those governance changes are going to have um, implications for uh, all the Uniting, Uniting Care agencies that provide uh, disability services, which is a lot of them in our, in our sector. So um, what do you imagine those governance changes will mean? Well, before we go into those changes, the first thing I'd like to say is, is that I think the church and all of its agencies has, does an outstanding job. But what a Royal Commission does is it, give, it shines a light and it provides mm. an opportunity to look at things um, and to see that things, you know, that the things we have been doing, perhaps they need to change. And so our, our understanding of, of the circumstances changes significantly. So, um, so what the what the national task group has done is is that um, they they agreed that there were three main issues um, that needed that the church and its agencies 
um, need to look at. Mm. Um, and those three issues, the first, the first issue is actually three issues in one. And so that's governance and decision making. Yes. Um, and that's around governance bodies and councils, boards and committees, but also having input from people with disability and, and the oversight of the services. Um, it's about having people with disability in senior and decision-making roles, and it's about having people in op open and closed employment. Mm. So you're right about um, the changes to governance boards. Um, they, will, they will need to change, um, and, um, and what the National Task Group decided to do was to get together a group of people, 20 in total. Um, they're a working group. There's six people on that working group um, who have a disability, mm. and there's a range of um, disability types amongst those six people. And there's also um, one person um, who's a family member of a person with disability. So what the church and its agencies have done is created a purpose-built group. So what, what we did is we started with a skills matrix and then we recruited people to that skills matrix. But we also needed to be mindful that we included people from the different parts of the church and its organisation and its business types. And we also needed to take into account geographical as well. So we needed to make sure that there were appropriate representation from the states and territories, from rural and remote. Um, we needed to make sure that the gender was appropriate um, and we got, and, and there's a person who, who has um, self-identified as gender diverse. Um, the church is a religious organization mm. and, um, and in those 20 people, we've got three reverends as well. So, even though it's only 20 people, mm. we've managed to cover off on all of the skills and the experience um, to be able to um, work together as part of this working group to come up with some overarching principles for each of those issues. And I've talked about the first issue, mm. but we've got two other issues. Um, we're going to be having our first working group next Wednesday. It, um, unfortunately, it's via Zoom. Um, <laughs> Um, but as we talked before, Zoom works very well. Yes. Um, so the first meeting is a get to know you. It's about setting the scene. It's about um, talking about the, world, the work of the Royal Commission, Australia's disability strategy, and some of the other activities happening around. And then we will be having three workshops, one for each of the issues. So I just want to say first, before we go into the other issues, I just want to say uh, the way you you and, and the team in the in the task group have gone about recruiting this um, this committee is so inspiring, and I really hope people who are listening take a moment to to just notice what you said about how if you put your mind to it and if you're clear about what the skills are you need, even in a I mean that's a biggish group, but even if people are working at smaller groups, you can recruit if you're intentional for a range of diversities, and that. Sometimes people bring more than one kind of diversity into the mix. So I just think that's such an inspiring example for us um, of what we can do if we're intentional. And um, yeah. Thank you, Sharon. And, and one of the things I really enjoy about working with the Uniting Church and its agencies it's, is its collaboration. Mm. So I haven't done this on my own. 
I've been doing this with, with um, uh, people in Queensland and other states and territories. I had never developed a skills mix, um, but I saw phase for the assemblies uh, board. Mm. And so I started with that. And then I spoke to my colleagues and we wrote, and so we came up with the skills mix. Then we, um, then we workshopped and, and, and tested the skills mix. And we needed to keep the group as small as possible. Uh, and so how we managed to do that is to have people wearing as many hats as mm. possible. And I think the most number of hats is either four or five. Wow. <laughs> but most people are wearing multiple hats. Mm. Um, and, and, and we looked long and hard at the diversity groups. We wanted to cover off every diversity group. Mm. And, and often um, one of the diversity groups that gets missed is young people. Yes. And we were able to get a person who's young and that person identifies as having a disability. And that person went to Uniting Care Churches. So we, oh, sorry, not Uniting Care Churches, Uniting Care Schools. Yes. So we have a schools representative, but we also have a former student mm. who's got lived experience of Uniting, um, Uniting Church Schools. So um, it, it was tricky, but, but everybody has, has come together and every single person I approached and bearing in mind that, my, that, um, that a lot of the church and its agencies work has increased exponentially mm. during COVID. You know, most people's workload increased significantly. Most people haven't had a holiday or a break. Yeah. And now we're heading into three years. So I was very mindful of the fact that people are tired um, and and I think to a large, to a lesser or greater extent, I think most people are suffering from some uh, type of burnout. Mm. And so I was very sensitive when I when I spoke to each person, and every single person I spoke to commented that they thought the work of this group was very important to the church mm. and its agencies, and they wanted to be part of it because they felt it was so important. Mm. Oh, that's so fabulous! But I, yeah, I really. I think that's a model for for really intentional. If you're really committed to to inclusion and diversity, being intentional about it. So I interrupted you. You were going to tell us about the other work as well. Yep. So so we've got two other issues, and both those issues um, break down into two two issues again. So issue number two is around access to and adequate complaints resolution processes. So what the Royal Commission found is, is that most organisations had quite good complaints um, resolution processes, but they weren't suitable for people who were non-verbal mm. or deaf or have sight impairment or have low literacy or a cognitive disability. Um, and then the second thing, uh, part of that second issue is around institutional safety. And then the third issue we're going to look at is around awareness and use of supported decision-making and choice and control. So all of these three issues have come up time and time again in the Royal Commission mm. um, and will come up into the future with the Royal Commission and there will definitely be recommendations around all of these. So the church and its agencies, well, the National Task Group, they felt that if we address these, these three issues, um, that 
that was going to, the combination of those three issues was going to have a significant impact on our understanding of what it's like for a person with, for an understanding of the, of the life of a person with disability and how we can make our, our services and, and programs um, more open um, and accessible for people with disability. Um, for example, the complaints, complaints is really um, an opportunity for continuous improvement. Yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, what the Royal Commission has heard is, is that a lot of organisations tried to protect the, or the institution at the expense of the person. Mm. Um, and, um, and so it, it just gives an opportunity to look at things from a different perspective. And that's what the Royal Commission has provided. But the other thing that happened, and it was a fortuitous timing, is this that Australia's 10-year disability strategy came up for review after the, the Disability Royal Commission came into being. So that's given the opportunity, that's given the, the government an opportunity to get ahead of what's happening with the Disability Royal Commission. And so what the government did is, for the first time ever, it worked with the, the Commonwealth and the states and territories work together with people with a disability to develop our current 10-year strategy, which is called Australia's Disability Strategy. Also, for the first time ever, they decided to, to develop targeted action plans, which sit underneath the, the uh, Australia's disability strategy. And the Commonwealth and all of the states and territories and local government signed up to all of those targeted action plans. There's only uh, five or six of them at the present moment, but there will be more. Yeah. And in those targeted action plans, they have concrete actions with concrete timelines and how and how are we going to know that we're, that we're getting there or we've got there? Now, most of the timelines are between one and three years and the strategy itself is 10 years. Mm. So that shows that there's going to, um, they will be reviewing those targeted action plans and refining them as we go through this 10 year period. Mm. Um, so when, when Australia's uh, disability strategy was launched, which was on International um, Day for People with Disability on the 3rd of December, um, the, the, the federal government also announced $250 million worth of funding to support the implement, implementation of that strategy. They also announced a, a council, and the council um, at this point in time has seven people as well as one or two advisors. And all seven people are people with disability and they cover all of the diversity groups. Mm. I was amazed that they were able to get such a small group of people mm. and cover off all of the diversity groups and have 100% of people with lived experience. Mm. And so they're going to support the implementation of the strategy and those targeted action plans. Beth, as you're talking, like that's really high-level government um, things and it's encouraging to hear that the government is paying attention to 
to prioritising um, disability action and that that action's taken uh, like in, in, with the disability community fully engaged. I, I'm just I'm thinking um, as I as I talk with you about you know people who are in a congregation and um, it, maybe it's a small congregation and they're not sure you know how to what to make of these high level things. But one of the things I've, that's really impressed me about everything you've talked about is just how important it is to include people with disabilities um, in the decision making. And it seems to me that whether it's mandated or not, um, and it probably won't be mandated for the, you know, your average church council or whatnot to have it, but whether it's mandated or not, it seems to me that's one of the key learnings that's been emerging. I mean, the disability community have been saying it for a long time, but is really emerging very strongly that you know, we all need to think about not just at high level, not just boards of uniting and uniting care as important as it is for them, but also to think about in our synods and our presbyteries and our congregations, who in our midst has a disability, self-identifies as having a disability? How do we, how do we learn from their lived experience? Do you have any thoughts on how that happens at a, at a more grassroots level? Um, I think one of the one of the structural issues is is that some people hesitate to identify mm. as having a disability for good reason because in yeah. the past you know that that hasn't worked well for them. Mm. Um, so I think I think uh, by and I know the churches and the congregations do this anyway, but it's about being open and welcoming, mm. and it's about and in that being open and welcoming, it's about learning about that person. Yes. And, and in getting to know that person, then people usually feel more comfortable about, about identifying as, mm -hmm. as having a disability. Um, um, the lived experience is very important because um, I shared before that um, my son... You know, I've got experience of being a parent of a child with lived experience, um, but I'm not a person who's had a disability. Um, and, and my son growing up, he learned very quickly because his, his disabilities you couldn't see. And so, so one of the things he learned very, very early was um, that unless, unless there was a visual um, um, indication that you have a disability um, and even if he explained he had a disability often because people couldn't see it mm. they didn't take that into account um, I'll, again I'll go back to you know society is is learning it, it, every now and again there's an opportunity that happens in a community where we get a deep dive. Mm. And the Royal Commission's pr provided that opportunity for that deep dive. And, and, and so then not only does the Royal Commission's understanding of what it is to live with a disability, um, but the community comes along on that journey as well. Mm. So I think it's something that will happen over time. I, th I don't, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. No. And even um, one of the, I'll digress a moment mm. and then come back to it. 
one of the things that I admire about the church and its agencies is its grassroots activities and how can do and practical the organisation is. <laughs> so I mentioned that I went to Queensland recently and I had the opportunity to meet with Alison Cox. And um, Alison saw a gap in employment readiness for people, young people leaving school who want with a, with um, who live with with a disability, um, who wanted to work, and um, so she saw this gap, and she created the Orca project from scratch. Mm. It's a two year program. It has four pillars in that two year program. She developed. She she uh, engaged people who helped her develop the curriculum. It's run out of a church. Um, yeah. So, so the Uniting Church and its agencies are doing it, and it's been doing it for a long time. Mm. Um, and it's more about what Alison's doing. Um, it's about um, um, integrating people with a disability um, into every part of our life including our religious life mm. and, and I think slowly in doing that then we slowly learn and we become more comfortable and 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 I think we've still got a way to go on that in terms of we do really um allowing people with a disability um space and uh capacity and our, our willingness to listen and and to grow and and to alter how we do things you know the what you said about the complaints process is so interesting. And um, again, that will primarily be actioned at high level. But I imagine what we learn about how to develop a complaints process for people who've got low literacy or cognitive impairment or are nonverbal can then shape how we um, preach on a Sunday or deliver our Bible studies or write our weekly newsletter. So, um, uh, you know, I think at a whole range of levels, we're only just beginning to think about some of that. And that's exactly right, Sharon. And and one of the things that the National Task Group recently did is to, to decide to have a standing agenda um, around the inter intersectionality of theology and disability. And, and so Andy organised for a woman um, to, to speak with the National Task Group and she spoke about how in the past um, the Bible's viewed somebody um, with a disability as nearly needing to be healed. And, and I hadn't thought about that until, until that discussion. Mm. Or um, Jade, who's a person with disability, who's a member of the National Task Group, he talked about going to an art um, exhibition um, um, around baddies, for want of a better description, and how all of those people had a disability, mm. and 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 he realised that that's not a healthy way to to view people with disability. Mm. And if you think about Dan Dylan Orcott, when he was named Australian of the Year. And in his speech, he said that when he was growing up, the only person like him he saw on TV was an ad discouraging people 
to to drive you know to encourage people to drive appropriately mm. otherwise you could end up like me in a wheelchair and 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 the inference was your life has ended yeah you know all those messages have had an impact um and 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 we're starting to understand that mm. and I, I mean i think that the insights from theology are interesting um kylie crabb who came to the disability task group you know has a um, a, a big research grant from the government to continue to explore the question of how a more nuanced understanding of disability in, in um, the early Christian period. So it, it is happening at a whole lot of levels, but it's just such a good reminder to us again to to think about the language we use, the the images we use. Um, just we have to just keep it always at the forefront of our mind. Um, particularly those of us that have upfront public speaking ministries, um, how will that be heard by, you know, somebody with a disability? How will that be seen? How will that be perceived? So um, there's, uh, uh, you're right, the disability type, the Royal Commission, it gives us an opportunity to deep dive. And even if we're not impacted directly by the findings, to take the moment, the space in the public conversation and do that work for ourselves, I think so important. So... Um, it, it, yeah, it's we, until, we can't waste it. No, and until um, what was that lady's name again? Kylie. Yeah, and until Kylie came and and talked to about it, I I hadn't connected um, the way that in the past the Bible does talk about mm. needing to heal people. Mm. Um, it just hadn't entered my mind. Yeah, yeah, no, and. and and even in a, a less religious society of Australia, still those images and those ideas permeate, have permeated our kind of cultural conscience. So it's it's not just what we hear on Sunday, but it's actually in the in the the more general environment as well. And it's completely unconscious. Yes. So yes. what's happening is the Royal Commission is providing us an opportunity to look more consciously. Mm. And mm. and again, the church and its agencies impress me by its willingness to do that and the recent uh, recommitment to the first nations covenant mm. was a was a great example of that yeah and you mentioned that's a reminder too about how intersectional these issues are that you can be a first nations person and be disabled or you could be a person of color and disabled you can have multiple disabilities you can have you know different people across the uh, gender identification spectrum and the sexual orientation spectrum can have disabilities um, and the different life experiences shape how you come to this. And, so you're more than just your disability or your sexual orientation, you're, you're all of that as a human being. And what the Royal Commission has, has shone a light on is, is that every single one of those intersectionalities provides more... Um, uh, less opportunity mm. marginalizes somebody even more yeah so we've got to work harder to, to, well, to be conscious of that and 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 make space for it not necessarily harder it's just being aware yeah. of that intersectionality mm. and and before my work with the disability royal commission i'd never heard of intersectionality Mm. And actually, I'm just thinking probably a lot of our listeners haven't either, but it is that notion that um, 
we often come with multiple identities and um, multiple ways of making sense of the world. And when they come together, particularly when you're talking about something that's traditionally disadvantaged you in society, they impact on each other. Um, and it's just really, it is an important thing to be aware of so that um, you're never just one thing. And depending on what the other parts of your identity are can shape how you come at whatever topics under conversation. So, uh, yes. Beth, um, just as we wrap up, it's, it strikes me that this is pretty hard work. Um, like, as you said, the Royal Commission's been hearing some some pretty tough stories and and you 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 listen to a lot of that you read a lot of that how do you how do you kind of wake up every morning and think another day in the office I, I you know I'm going to go and do another good day's work what keeps you um I guess hopeful or resilient as you do this work I feel incredibly privileged is I feel passionate mm -hmm. Um, I'm at the end of my career. I spent nearly 40 years as a public servant. And then subsequent to that, I've, I've been contracting and I worked with one other non-government organisation, but it wasn't a faith-based organisation. Um, from my perspective, this is almost the culmination of um, a range of experiences that I've had in my professional life as well as experiences I've had in my personal life. Mm. And a few years ago, I, I was the carer of my then 91-year-old uncle, and he had age-related disabilities. And, um, and the time I spent with him is some of the best time of my life. Mm. Um, so, so for me, this is, this is an opportunity for me to be able to, to give back and um, and some of the, like when I worked in the ACT and funded the ACT disability program, I did find some hollow logs mm. um, and I was able to introduce some innovative um, responses, but also um, what, I, what, I, what I'd also been told is often people with a disability um, don't like to go to the dentist and open their mouth at the dentist, which then resulted in a lot of uh, teeth problems. Mm. And dental problems um, have an impact on, on your physical health as well as your psychological health, yeah. as well as what you can and can't eat. Mm. And so I was able to find some funding um, for people to be a, 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 and, um, and it to be done at the end of... Um, uh, operations and whatnot when they had some spare capacity in the theatres for people with disability to be able to get their teeth looked at. Mm. So for me, um, um, this is a great opportunity. I'm, um, my, my values align with the church and its agencies. I had been brought up as a Methodist and Presbyterian and I've belatedly become very proud <laughs> of the church and its agencies and all the things it's done. Um, and everybody I've spoken to, all of my friends, all know about the church and its agencies and the good work it does, yeah. especially in relation to its social justice yeah. and how progressive the church is. So for me, I really enjoy the fact that I'm part of that for the moment. 
Well, Beth, it's such a privilege for us as the United Church to have you doing this really important work. Um, thank you for being willing to come and work for us and to to um, to share the richness of your life experience, both your own personal life experience and your working life, um, as we as we really work through the Royal Commission and, and try to make the best response we can to it. Um, and thank you for the conversation today. I, um, you know, I've said before I started this podcast because I have the privilege of meeting uh, wonderful people and and um, meeting you. We haven't, we're yet to meet in person, Beth. I'm looking forward to that day when we do. Um, but meeting you on Zoom, lots of times coming to the meetings and having other conversations, it's just been a, a privilege and a joy for me. And I, I want to thank you for joining my podcast today. Thanks so much, Beth. Thank you.